Welcome back to another episode of Girls & Co. I'm with the one and only Peter Moylan. He decided to grace us with his presence. How are you doing, Moylan? I'm gr- do you, hold on. I didn't decide to grace you. I was finally invited onto this I groundbreaking say, show. I invited you last year. Mm-hmm. And you were going to come on in like October or whatever, but you were doing playoffs. So you were very busy. Correct. You've always been welcome. Let's be honest. You've always been okay. welcome. That's fine as long and I get that feeling when I'm around you guys, but you know, it's there's a lot of time in between when I see you three. So that's true. Uh, that's it's very nice true. to catch up when we do. And and I'm glad that I can do this finally and be part of this thing. No, I'm very glad you're here. So I kind of want to start off with the most vague of vague questions. We ask all of our people that come on this show the same okay. question to start off. Who are you, Peter Moylan? Mm. Jeez Louise. I mean. I am a man who has had the luckiest life of any man humanly possible. I've lived three lives, it feels like, with everything that I've been able to do to this point. I have three beautiful children, two wives, one one ex, one current, and I love the presence of people all the time. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say all the time. I like to be around people 90% of the time, but I really, really like that 10% where I'm by myself. Mm, the, alone um, the alone time reset. Um, I'm passionate about a couple of things. Baseball. Food. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family. Mm-hmm. I love to travel, as we're well aware. Mm-hmm. And I can't sit still, and I think... of the fact that I can't sit still is because of the major league schedule that I've been on for the last 15 years. Probably. And you forgot to add your newest hobby on that list is photography. Right. I do like to take photos. I've done that for probably about the last two years, but I'd just like to get out and walk and take as many photos as I can. Yeah. It's, it's become quite a little passion for me too. I always know that you're on a new kick because for the longest time I was getting random photos of food dishes and now I get like <laughs> random photos of like buildings or your girls and I love it. <laughs> I'm like, I still cook. Don't worry. <laughs> I, love I it. still cook. I am just, I, well, when the off season rolls around, yeah. here's how I work. Okay. And I don't know if anybody else is like this. I've never sat down in a therapy session to discuss this with anybody, but here's how I work. Okay. I pour myself into whatever I'm doing whether yeah. that's cleaning up the kitchen for three hours or whether that's doing a project for three months, I will pour myself into that thing and give it that, that everything that I can do. But, and I also can't relax if there's something in the back of my mind that I need to do. So if if it's four o'clock in the afternoon, I sit down on the couch and I know that there's something weighing on me, I have to complete that thing before I'm able to relax. And I don't know if that's the baseball thing because I know that something's coming up every single day. There's no there's no time. If I keep putting things off, it's just going to keep rolling, rolling, rolling. So I am a strange bird, but I'm I'm a fun bird, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I want to talk about, I don't think we've ever actually talked about this. Like, I want to know what kid version of you was like. What was kid Peter like in Australia? I was a maniac. I was, I was not, I don't know. I had, I was, I couldn't focus. Uh, I got the school report cards of he's a class clown. If he would just focus the efforts and start of trying to entertain everybody, if he would just put that into his work, we know the intelligence is in there. We just need to get it dialed in. 
right? That was the kind of stuff that I got all through high school. Um, one time I went, I lived down the street from my primary school, which was what we call uh, years one to uh, seven is primary school. Uh, and we were playing honky nut walls, which were these little nuts that we'd get on the roof of the school and throw them at each other. And I jumped off this archway onto an asbestos part of the roof and fell through and got scratches all the way down my side. And I was young enough to be able to go home, but I made up a lie to my mum and I said, mum, I was jumping on my friend's trampoline and then the springs scratched my side until the next day when the school called and said, hey, we've got a video of your son falling through one of the classrooms. <laughs> and uh, so I got in a little bit of trouble for that. That's the kind of kid I was. Okay. Okay. Did so, I tell you? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. How does a kid like that end up in, I mean, an emotionless sport of baseball? Like, I mean, I know there's emotion in the sport, but you are more so taught in that sport to kind of like contain. You sure. just play through it's a game of failure you're gonna fail and like that whole thing right i don't take a maniac type kid and put him in that sport how did that happen well because as long as i had something to focus on i was fine and baseball became that thing so as long as i enjoyed what i was doing then you were going to get 100 percent of my time and 100 percent of my focus so baseball I, I fell in love with pretty early on i was told early early on that i was going to be no good which was also part of the motivating factor i like telling people that I told you so not not for any other reason than uh it's motivating like it's it's to be able to just not even just throw it in people's faces just to know that you've accomplished something when there's so many people that thought that you wouldn't be able to do it uh, um that's how I basically lived my whole life so um yeah uh that's how baseball became what it was for me and I, w I was pretty decent at it when I first picked it up and my hand-eye coordination was good at a lot of sports. So I played a ton of sports growing up. I did track, swimming, tennis, basketball. Like if it was there, I would try it. Um, I love but, that. Yeah. So when was the first time that you actually came to America? It was for baseball, right? So the first time was for the World Baseball Classic. Sorry, the World Children's Baseball Fair. I get a burst myself. Uh, 2000 and couldn't even tell you, I was 12 years old. So maybe, maybe 1990 okay. was the first time. And I came over here, there was 200 kids from around the world that got invited to this thing. And I think I told you this, but no, I haven't told you this. I, there was five kids from Australia and I was one of them, but I believe that the only reason I was picked is because I was under the age of 12 and there was a cheaper flight for that age group. So I think that's why I got chosen. But we go to the UCLA and there's just 200 kids from all over the world and we're playing baseball. And that was another thing that kind of was like, wow, this is, this is something really cool. So uh, yeah, that was my first trip to America for Hollywood. Everything to oh, do yeah. with that was just, I was like, I want to come back here. And, and my obsession with America and baseball just started to grow from that point. Okay. You have to tell the, I want the UCLA story on camera of the kangaroos. Yeah. Please tell Okay, that. so we were, as I mentioned, 12 and 13-year-old children, and we were in the cafeteria of UCLA college students. And we had, I had, a table of college students believing that we rode in the kangaroo's pouches to and from school. And it was one of my greatest achievements um, until the end when I was able to tell them that, guys, 
I'm not kidding, but the internet wasn't around back then. So maybe it was, but uh, yeah, you couldn't have fact-checked me. So I just had these people believing that kangaroos were big enough and abundant enough that we could just like an Uber, just call on a kangaroo and next thing you know, jump in a pouch. Yeah. That's the funniest story I, of this day. Like I tell so can, many people that. <laughs> you can just tell that that's the, that was where I, that you knew my personality was going to grow yes. from moments like that. Yes. And I could see that. Yeah. So that's, that was sort of gave me an insight of the kind of person I was going to be too. <laughs> okay. So you're 12 years old, you're playing in this in the United States, you go back to Australia. Yeah. What happens from that point until making it to the pros? Like walk me through okay. those steps. I'm going to have to give you the short version, but a uh, very uneventful age till, till I turned 17 okay. uh, was pitching in a national championship game and had the game of my life in front of a scout luckily for me that scout happened to go to the under 16 tournament and not see my next game where I didn't get out of first inning he called me a week later and was like hey we're interested in signing you this is with the Minnesota Twins at the stage so I was 17 years old I'm like okay this is perfect I've made it here I go I'm going to be in the big leagues sign my contract come over spend two years in rookie ball and then the next year I go back to spring training and I get arrested in spring training okay for what? I'll send you my mugshot for, it was drunk and disorderly, but I wasn't drunk. And I had someone throw a punch at me and I defended myself at the beach in Fort Myers and I got put in jail. So another, another idea of uh, what the kind of kid I was, I called my mother reverse charges from said jail on April Fool's Day. And she thought I was just giving an April Fool's joke. When actual fact, I was like, no, mom, I'm sorry, sweet mom. I am so sorry. This is real. But um, so I had to call the only guy on the team that I knew that had any money because it was rookie ball and we got paid $123 every two weeks was my check. So I had no money and to get myself out of jail, it was going to cost 75 bucks. So I called Michael Restovich and I said, Hey, he was the first round draft pick that year. And I said, dude, you gotta come get me. He came and got me. And then the next day I was released. So wow. from there. I came home and I met my first wife pretty quickly and we settled into normal life. I walked a ton of sales jobs. Uh, I was a pool plumber at one stage. I was concreting. I was doing any kind of landscaping, any kind of cash jobs you could find. And then I got into sales. I was selling security systems for three months. Never sold a single one. I would then have I went to be a really good salesman. Oh yeah. I, I'm fine at, at having a conversation. I'm fine at, talking about things that I love, but I don't love security systems. And I didn't love pest control when I sold that next, or I didn't love upholstery fabric when I sold that. And I didn't love lift chairs when I sold those. Oh yeah. Okay. I get Eventually, that. Eventually I fell into a pharmaceutical rep role, pharmaceutical packaging, I might add, just to, I didn't do any of the other, you know, the other stuff. So I was a pharmaceutical rep when I came over and pitched for Australia in the World Baseball Classic. I pitched against Venezuela. I was all over the place, but the radar gun looked cool. It was a couple of 94s and a couple of 95s, and I had a unique arm angle. I signed with the Braves the next day. Wow. Uh, went to AAA, spent two weeks in AAA, and then got called up to the big leagues. How old were you when you got called up? 27. I was My rookie year was 27. Because I'd come over here as a 17-year-old, yeah. squandered that uh, that chance by being a typical 17-year-old that's never left the country before. 
And then, uh, yeah, I, obviously people don't get second chances like I was able to get. So the fact that I was able to do that and then I'm still here all these years later, it's, that's probably the thing that I'm, besides my kids, that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of. Do you think, like, do you remember the exact moment that you got called up? Oh, yeah. Snip was Snip called me. I was in a hotel room in Richmond, short pump, Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, yeah, he called me. He says, uh, they're going to need you in Atlanta. And from that point, it's a basically a blur. But I was knew that I was going to have to go the next day. So it wasn't like I had no chance to sleep. I, I, I had to pack all my stuff. It was, and I think we'd just come back from a road trip. I'm pretty sure we we opened up on the road. So we'd just settled into a hotel trying to find a place to stay for the rest of the year. But no, then I got caught up to Atlanta and, and I pitched the day that I got called up too. Wow. They used and to like to do that. So then from there, you bounced around teams. How long were you with the Braves? And then what other teams did you go to and where did you end your career? So it was all gravy to start off with um, from... 2006 to 2012 I was with the Braves a couple of injuries in between but it was it was a, a nice little run and then 2013 I signed with the Dodgers and I spent the majority of the time triple a little bit of time in the big leagues but I wasn't very effective next year I go to spring training with Houston and I blow out my elbow for the second time so I have Tommy John again uh 15 I have to sign a player coach deal with Atlanta so I'm coaching the rookie ball kids in the morning, getting my rehab done in the afternoon, and then going home and being a dad at nighttime. Do they still have those types got, of a player coach deal? No, I don't. I, I don't think so. I I, I, don't I, I hadn't heard of it until it was offered interest. to me. <laughs> You're right. So I end up getting called back up to the big leagues in August that year. Okay. So crazy that that even happened. Next year I go to Kansas City. Um, I end up spending five months in the big leagues that year and then the next year 17 i have the whole year in the big leagues and then 18 i signed with atlanta again and that's where it all ended because i lost my sinker and physically i felt fine but i just couldn't throw a sinker so i was going out there and getting my my butt handed to me on a nightly basis do you remember not maybe not necessarily the first time that you were over because you were so young but the second time that you came back with the braves and yeah. you we're in the United States. Do you remember what the hardest thing was to try to acclimate to after going back to Australia and then coming back to the United States? Honestly, it wasn't. There's so many similarities between Australia and the US that it's not a bad acclimation. It's just, I was so used to, what's the word? I'm, I, was, I was so used to not being away from my family, but travel has been such a massive part of my life forever yeah. that two weeks away from someone is like, it's not that big a deal for me. Whereas other people who have never spent any time away from their family, it's like I, they can't, they can't cope. So, um, you know, that's one unique thing about the way that my life's turned out is that because of where I've had to come to chase my career, um, you know, there's a lot of separation and there's a lot of, a lot of travel. So uh, that's the biggest thing is getting, getting used to being away from the family for long periods of time and the sacrifices that that is, but, I'm also reaping the benefits of that now because yeah. I still get my off seasons to go home every year, even though I'm still working in the industry, I still get that whole off season because it's so, it's so concentrated in the six month period. And we work so hard for such a short period of time that you afford yourselves a little bit of time off in the off season. And my girls get to come over. I get to go home. We get to spend 
quality, quality time together. Um, so, you know, when I break it down and when I justify it to myself, uh, I look at the amount of hours that I would be spending away if I was working a regular job back home. And it probably adds up that I'm spending more time with my kids now doing this than I would have been normal. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Before we go on to your family, I do want to ask one more baseball question, because I think that I think this is something that a lot of players run into. And I think a lot of people always deal with it or handle it differently. So when it comes to you actually making the decision that you were going to walk away from mm -hmm. baseball, like what was that process like? Did it take you a long time? Like, did you know right away? Were you in denial? Like, what was it like for you, like emotionally? I wish I could give you like this real in-depth, like, oh man, you know, I sat down and, but I was just sitting around waiting for someone to call me and offer me a job. I still felt like I could pitch. And it got to the point where I just wasn't going to allow, I'd sat around and waited for a deal every year of my life. I never got a guaranteed deal. I signed minor league deals never? basically my whole career ever. And I had to prove myself every spring training. I never got to relax. Wow. So um, once I got to the point where I was like, I'm not just going to let this dictate my life anymore and I was just fed up with having to wait around and allow other people to just decide when it was my turn yeah. so I said that's it I'm gonna take advantage and and I'm gonna retire and I ran away from that retirement by going to Europe <laughs> <laughs> I went and played in the Czech Republic <laughs> but I had a backup plan I was trying to stay ready for the Olympics the Olympics were going to be in 2020 mm. baseball was in the Olympics so I was like I'm gonna have to go play somewhere so I went to the Czech Republic and played in Europe and traveled around, did all that. And then uh, once they, once the Olympics was sort of canceled, that ended my, my full retirement. I was able to retire fully. Uh, and I do not regret when I did. I was 39, 40 years old when I, I finished pitching. So, you know, I did start late. I started at 27 and I had a lot of injuries in between, but when you take the first part and the last part and you average it out, I feel like I had a, a decent career for, for what I had, I had a sidearm arm angle that had a decent sinker and an okay slider, and I did okay. Have you seen any players uh, in the game now that maybe mimic your approach pitching wise? No, I. Uh, I mean, there's guys that throw from a low arm angle, but they're also a lot of the guys that are around now have got way better stuff than than I had. Um, I think. A lot of that has to do with the the measurables now that they have and the adjustments you're able to make on your pitch mix. I think, and I proved it to myself by going to one of those labs and and trying to develop a pitch while I was there. And I found a changeup that I thought I had spent my whole life trying to find a changeup. And I went to this lab for five minutes and was learned exactly what sort of spin I was looking for. I realized when I went to that lab that I had no idea what I was doing when I was pitching. I I was trying to make adjustments in eighteen. This is why I couldn't make any adjustments because what I thought I needed to do to get my sinker back was the complete opposite of what I actually had to do. So I know that if I had have had a lot of the stuff that was here now, I may have been able to extend my career a little bit longer or be more effective against left-handers, but I will definitely not hand back what I was able to do. That's for sure. So now that baseball is over, you then have like 15 other careers that you dive into, whether it's being a chef or working with bees and honey or right. as most of you know is the analyst for 
Braves pre post and sometimes in game calls. So how did mm-hmm. you stumble into that job? I mean, I know you ended your career with the Braves and I, yeah. I think we see a lot of transition obviously with players going into broadcast, but you landed there and you've managed to stay there and become, I mean, probably a fan favorite if I had to guess. Well, if they can understand what I'm saying, I'm a fan favorite, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I land well, like my baseball career, I didn't, I didn't, you know, afford myself the chance to just sit back and say, I'm never going to work again. I knew from the minute I retired that there was going to be a point where I needed to come back and, and dive into do something else. Um, part of the reason why I wanted to stand back, sign back with Atlanta in 18 was to, to, you know, introduce myself to the new front office and make sure that, um, the relationships that I'd established in Atlanta and I treasured were still there. And I, and I think they are. And I think with the new front office, they've, they've been reestablished. So that's cool. Um, but they said, hey, hey, do you want to try this? And I was like, I never thought that I was going to be, that I was going to enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah. I was so nervous when I first started because I may give this front that I'm this confident, you know, dude but i have crippling anxiety when it comes to certain things and one of those things was public speaking 100 percent. i hate it uh i still now to this day dread everything like you know how i said i can't concentrate if i have something in my mind yeah if i say yes to something that's three weeks away and it involves public speaking i will that'll be something that is in my head 24 7 until it's gone until i'm done with it so um it 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 uh it's 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 cool that I've been able to get comfortable doing it, but I just want people to know that it certainly wasn't something that I was comfortable doing from the get-go. Um, and it took a lot of me fighting my own demons to get to the point where I am now. Was your first appearance on pre and post during 2020 playoff run with me? My, no, my first appearance, I, I had done a couple of games in 19 okay when when i was in the czech republic so i did 10 games before i left to go to the czech republic and i did 10 games in the season when i was done with the czech republic okay um and forgot everything that i learned from the first 10 games by the time i got to the last 10 games and had to restart all over again like just like everything else like if you don't do something for a period of time it, it, it's the nerves build up every opening day. There's nerves. Every the, every time you do something for the first time, it's like, oh, here we go again. But I think I've got to the point now where I really and I love I love all the the flexibility that I have. I love the fact that I'm doing different things. It's not just the same thing over and over again. Radio is way different to TV. Yeah. Pre and post is obviously way different to when you're in the booth. The preparations are different. The knowledge you need to have is different. Um, it's it's just it's just fun to be able to do so many different things well you do it well you do it very well and i mean they keep asking you back so i'd say that you're doing something right or it's because i think it's just because i live local i think it's just because i live here probably yeah you live local good smile and you don't bought and paid for i complain a lot that's one thing the other thing you don't know about me is that you do it you do it in an australian accent so it's (laughs) more charming than someone who has an accent like mine so that's working in your favor (laughs) i want to now touch on obviously the most important thing to you which is your family so you started off this interview by saying something really interesting that you had two wives no it's not polygamy um It's not sister wives, but it is an no. ex-wife and a current wife, and Correct. have three beautiful girls. 
I do. How, I think the burning question that I want to start with is how did you figure out a way to build a family dynamic like that? Because it's pretty unorthodox for an ex-wife and a current wife to be able to have such a close and loving friendship, family relationship, really, that you have, you have. I have to give all the credit to Tracy and Mandy, because the fact that uh, with this career, I'm gone. I'm gone so much. So in order for this to work, a lot of what was happening in the background had to be done between those two yeah. to to you know work out travel plans, work out who's picking up who, where's everybody going. So you know, the, early on, obviously there was friction because there always is. But since since it's kind of it's just been it's just worked itself out over the years where there's just no infighting. There's no um, I got to give a lot of credit to my oldest daughter too, Montana. She's the one that's kind of kept us together as as a glue. Um, called everybody out for their bullshit, so to speak. Um, me also, uh, I've had to be called out a few times, but you know, I just feel like at the end of the day, we all have a a level of love for each other that needs to be sustained because you look around right now and and what is the most important thing to people and it's it's got to be your family so if the closest people to you are happy and functioning well then hopefully that can spread out to to more and more people but um uh, it's i know it's it's strange for people to think that that it could be such a close friendship but but it it is and it's and it has to be for it to be able to work yeah i think the biggest thing too is it has to the only way that actually happens is if the people that are involved are genuine people and have good yeah. hearts. I don't think that you can have someone who's, you know, selfish or, you know, egotistical in any way, shape or form to be able to form a relationship like that. So I definitely think it it is a big credit to them for you because you're kind of, I mean, if you look at it, if you're looking at it from the outside looking in, you're in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, statistically. Was it ever weird for you? And if it was, how'd you get over it? Was what weird for me? Was it weird that they were becoming the, the initial the the I mean the initial no no. Um I I didn't know how it was all gonna play out. That's the yeah, that's the craziest part. Like that. you you obviously there's 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 horror stories out there when you talk about when you talk about kids and 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 new marriages and stuff like that. So I, I just wanted it. I'm a big guy that tries to avoid confrontation when it comes to things like that. So if I had to bite my tongue a few times and accept things that I wasn't really willing to accept at the time, then I would do that. Um, but in in the long run, it's it's served me well and it's allowed me to look at all problems that way and try to see other people's perspectives more. I was a very, I won't say selfish, but being a big league baseball, it gives you a sense of, I don't want to say entitlement but it's kind of entitlement um and i had to snap myself out of that at times where i you know i'm still literally just a pharmaceutical rep that got lucky to be able to drop his arm angle down and 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 pitch for a major league baseball team so remind yourself of that often um yeah so well being surrounded by a bunch of women um it's not just the ones that you mentioned by the way my mother-in-law lives downstairs um so i have my i have i had three female dogs we just lost our oldest one three months ago but hey she was old and she was ready it was it was her time um, she lived a long and fruitful life uh, so now i just have two 
two girl dogs and okay. uh my 16-year-old is currently living with me. Yeah. Um so that's been magical for the last two and a half months. I love that. Um and uh so that yeah, it's just been I've just got women everywhere and it's not a bad thing it teaches you a lot about life right it teaches you a lot about a lot of things a lot of things so I want to go back to when you found out that you were having your first kid and it was going to be a girl was there ever a part of you that was like man I hope I have a son at some point or was it one of those things like once you had a okay obviously obviously (laughs) I think every man, when he embarks on the journey of becoming a father, likes to think of having a son and, you know, showing your son everything that you know, as far as whatever it is, whether you're a mechanic, you're a cook, you're a sports person, whatever it is, you just want to, you know, grow up with your boy. And then the minute you have a daughter, it's, it's like uh they say the connection between a mother and a baby is like so intense because of breastfeeding and it's come out of the mom and and all the rest of it right but the minute you lay eyes on your kid and it's this like it's the most it just changes something inside you it like it actually makes you worry instantly because you're like holy crap is more of us now so and that's just continued to expand right (laughs) but but then and I've had to accept this later in life. It's just that that becomes your whole life. Yeah. It, initially, it's like, oh man, I'm missing out on so much because I'm having to do it. Well, you're not missing anything right now. Right now, you pour all your efforts into your girls and make sure that they're having the time of their lives. Um, and it's, I live through them. It's like, I obviously have an amazing life myself yeah. and they look up to, how hard I work and they can use me as an example of certain things, but I just want to make sure that they feel safe and loved for the rest of their lives. That's when I've had this conversation with my dad before, because my dad has two daughters and I asked him, I was like, when you, when mom was pregnant with me and you found out it was a girl, was there ever any part of you that wanted a son? And he was like, he's like, I'm sure there was like a sliver of me that thought that at some point he's like, but the second you were born and then we had your sister, he's like, I, I wouldn't want to be a boy dad. He's like, I, right. being a girl dad, like becomes like your greatest, oh, your greatest achievement. The lights went off. It's a fine. Um, okay. he's just like being a girl dad just becomes your greatest achievement because mm-hmm. And I'm sure you feel this. And I tell my dad this all the time. Like he is as cheesy as it sounds, he is my superhero. And that yeah. is what like a good girl dad relationship is. So like what's the yeah. biggest thing for you that has meant so much to you being a girl dad? What is it about it? The The biggest thing that I can say is that every single one of my girls the 23, 16, and nine, every single one of them comes to me and talks to me about things. And it can be relationships. It can be financial advice. It can be, dad, I just want to ask you a question. But we've got to the point in our relationships where they feel like they can come to me with anything and every problem that they have. And that's exactly what I want to establish from the minute. The minute they go going elsewhere, 
that's when you don't know about things and that's when you start to worry and but the minute you know that they can come to you and console and talk to you and and you you're a counselor you're a dad you're a taxi driver you're everything and everything to them anything and everything to them that's when you know that when they are reliant on you at all ages that's when you know you're doing a good job when you don't hear from them and it's that's that's when you start to worry how was your first experience with a teenage girl with your oldest daughter because mm-hmm. I still apologize to my parents to this day for being such a I'm gonna say it a bitch I was just right. selfish like I was yeah. awful <laughs> so um Montana will tell you the same thing she was she was a, a an interesting teenager um but the biggest adjustment that happened in her life was when she came over to the states to be an au pair Okay. So she came over here. She was point, in New York. Where were you at in your career? I was still playing. So she came over right at the end of when I was still playing. Um, and she was 18 years old, finished high school. Um, she realized, and it was like a come to Jesus moment. She was in, she was in Atlanta when, when I kind of, when she kind of spoke to me about it, but uh, having the, the two girls, to look after besides herself for 12 months changed her whole perspective. The selfishness that you talk about disappeared. Um, her younger sister and her are now the closest people. They're best friends. They talk every single day. It's the it's so wonderful to watch what that relationship's become because there's seven years in between them. So, you know, you think of that, you think, oh, they're never going to have anything in common. But my oldest daughter, as I said, she's the rock of this place and she's able to just nurture all the relationships and just make sure she's the one that reaches out all the time. She's just, she's just, she's turned into such an awesome human. And then that's, I can't be any more proud of her. So what are the personality differences between your three girls that stands out to you? Um, We're all very goofy. I know that for a fact. Um, Middle daughter and I are very similar. The one that I just yeah, yeah, yeah. way you saw yeah. similar looking yeah. similar personalities um but i think we all have a little touch of of each of us my oldest one is a little more emotional uh and my younger one they're very similar mm-hmm. um which is strange because they have different mums mm-hmm. but the family dynamic is what it is so i guess they're going to learn from whatever but yeah it's just as they grow they all change so much too and uh watching the lessons that the older one gives the middle one. And then now that the, the middle one's been living with us for the last yeah. two and a half months, seeing the, the different dynamic between those two as well. And the lessons that Montana has been able to teach Matisse so that yeah. she doesn't become the B-I-T-C-H to Leilani. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just, I couldn't be happier with how it's all turned out. And I know there's a lot of people that can't say that. So I know how lucky I am. Yeah, it's definitely a blessing. I think regardless of how obscure it might seem from the outside looking in, like it works for you guys and your family. And that's ultimately the only Mm -hmm. thing that matters. What's been the hardest lesson for you to learn as a girl dad in particular? Because I think asking that question about being a parent, that's a little bit more vague. I, I specifically want to know regarding being a girl dad. I can tell you straight up. It was, I used to have a very, how do I say this? Um, girl problems are for girl problems attitude. Like if I don't want to know, like I was a very oh, uncomfortable about girl conversations. 
And it took a long time and a lot of adjusting for me to just put the guard down and just be able to listen and just try to try to appreciate what is being told to me and give as much advice as you can, not just shut off and say, oh, no, 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 this isn't a me problem. So that's another piece of advice that I'll give is that there's no subject that isn't uh, breachable or talkable with your kids. What was a harder conversation talking about menstrual cycles or boy problems for you to get over? Boy problems. Really? Yeah, yeah. The other one's just nature. Boy problems, yeah. there's so much more that goes into it. Yeah. Like, I was a boy. I know what boys are like. So I I can I can give advice about what boy problems. That's come at me with that. <laughs> my dad, you know, him and I have never had the actual conversation about it, but I have seen over the years how he has kind of taught himself to approach it a lot softer of a way instead of as harsh of like a oh I was a boy and like I know exactly what you're saying like no that like no like so the the different emotions that girls have and the different emotional levels that girls have yes. and the different times that girls are going to be emotional like I get all that and I have to be the guy that's able to weather those emotions and not be the guy that pushes back and punches back and that's another lesson that I've had to learn too as I get older and I get more uh, mellow chill yeah how does it feel um, that you yeah. have to pay for three weddings? So that's a discussion we've already had. And I had to pay for my own two. So I see no reason as to why I should have to pay for three of theirs. So we're going to have a discussion. It's going to be negotiation from this point on. I love the fact that they're going to hopefully elope somewhere. I've tried to convince every one of my kids, you know what? Destination weddings are great. They're great ideas. Everybody loves them. Yeah. Just you and your partner, maybe two close friends. Vegas. I feel like your oldest will probably do that because she's over. Is she still living in Europe? She's back in Australia now. Okay. Uh, we just had actually funny enough. We just had a conversation about whether it's a good opportunity to start looking at because she wants to settle down. She's at that point. She wants to settle down. Oh, right. Does she want to settle down in Australia or do you do you think you're always yeah. going to have like a, a two continent life? That's a great question. Uh, I would like to think that there's always going to be a reason for me to go home to Australia. Um, I think my girls are going to be that reason, obviously, but I don't know how, where they're going to end up either. They're very much like me as far as, sure, we'll settle down for a couple of hours. <laughs> not years, not months, not weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, because for those who don't know, you, you know, typically your year consists of a regular baseball season, playoffs happen, and then sometime, you know, beginning of November, you go back to Australia and you're there until February. And so Correct. at what point will life get in the way or start making that difficult or complicate things in traveling? Like when, well, lucky for me, wristbands included uh i get to i was a manager of a team last year but i'm gonna go back and be pitching coach this year so okay. um yeah that's that's my motivation to go back to give back to australian baseball a little bit mm -hmm. um i would like to think that i'll that i may be able to do that for a, a couple more years but like you said you know if things start going 
the way that I would love them to go as far as media goes over here, then um, I may not have the time to be able to go back there every single year, but I'm definitely going to go back every other. It's always going to be home. So you're always going to have a connection to it. For sure. Yeah. But this, and this is going to maybe rub some Australian viewers the wrong way, but America has become a home. It's quite obvious that the U S has become where I call home. And it's, I distinctly remember when that shift happened, it was around 2012. um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, it's, it's changed. I always, the, the anticipation and the excitement level of coming back to America trumped going back home. Interesting. Yeah. It's always a feeling. It always happens like that. I still get it. So two more questions. One, okay. um, are you going to ever open up coffee shops in the United States? No. Because that is another passion that you have. I, it is a passion. I think that, and I, I think breakfast is done poorly in this country. Uh, unpack it <laughs> i think that there needs to be a lot of adjustments made and uh i don't know that i can single-handedly change the whole mindset of breakfast goers in america a lot of like, you guys love waffles you guys love pancakes you guys love chicken and waffles you guys love you guys love um some good stuff and i do love breakfast occasionally in this country but i just think it can be done much much better what's your ideal breakfast there's no one ideal breakfast. I do oh. love an eggs benedict. I do love an eggs benedict. I do love an avocado toast. I do love a chili eggs. Mm. Um, I do. I don't even mind a muesli. What is that? Oats and yogurt and fruit and type up. Google muesli right now and just like granola. Kind of. Like an oat bowl. Oat it's gonna make me sound really. It's muesli. I don't even images. That's muesli. Okay, so yeah, like a granola bowl with yogurt. Yeah, well, granola bowl with yogurt, if you want to call it that. It's definitely not. It's rolled oats. It's wheat bran. It's kosher salt. It's ground cinnamon and sliced almonds and some fruit for taste. Interesting. I've never heard of that combination. But right. Um, I'm, I'm going to send you between now and the time, uh, the end of the day, I'm going to send you seven to 10 pictures of breakfasts that I've had over the last five years in Australia. And then you can decide whether you think we do breakfast well in, in my country. Okay. I know we do coffee really well. That's a fact. I'll be the judge of it. I'm really excited to see what these photos look like. I never know what's coming. It's and it's also just photos that I've taken, so it's not going to be stuff that I've pulled from the internet. This is food that I've actually consumed okay. and or made. Ooh, you can you be the judge. You'll be Sorry. able to. Tell. I don't sell. I don't send plates. I just send the food. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Last question I have for you. I realize yeah. that we've already been talking for an hour, but that doesn't surprise me because we used to do these hour long shows like every single day back in 2020. Shout if out the, if. And if, if the Diamondbacks want to know how to pitch Corey Seager, I think you have a video for them. Should post that. <laughs> I'm 1,000% uh, post that. Thanks for that. That's um, fine. Yeah. Ending on a note about 
you what's oh. next what is the next goal that you want to accomplish because i know you're happy and you're doing a lot of great things with media and broadcast and giving back with australian baseball and all of these things mm -hmm. you kind of have your hands on but what is something personally that you you want to achieve next this is going to sound really strange okay. but it's not a pursuit of any particular thing that i want to do next i and this is kind of building off the story i told before i want a little bit of security in my life i've never throughout my whole major league baseball career ever had any sense of security even now that i'm out of baseball i've had to fight and scrap for everything that i've been able to do i've never once and it's maybe been the reason why i've been able to achieve what i have that i've i've never been able to sit back and just re relax but i'm getting to the point now where I'd, I'd love whatever it is that i do next to be hey here's a two or three year deal this is what you're going to be doing for the next three years lock in let's see what you can do when you're actually given something for a period of time rather than just focus on a month to month it almost feels like that i'm working off of now you want to be able to take a breath I want to be able to take a breath. I want to be able to just, as I said, I'd love working hard. I, there's nothing. My wife cannot stand the fact that I'll have one day where I'll sit down and do absolutely nothing, but that's it. Once I've had that day, the next day I have to find stuff to do. And it's uh, from seven in the morning till nine at night. I won't stop. And I love that grind. I love the grind of working every day, but I love the fact that I get the six month flexibility to do whatever I want. So you're, are you, are you one of those annoying people on vacation that like won't just yes. relax on vacation? Okay. That's I can, if you, that's what you guys want to do, then that's fine. But you won't see me for the majority of the day. I'm going to be gone. We went to Europe last week and we did 95,000 steps in four days. Good for you. You want me to show you? you, to show you? I can prove it. This isn't just me saying it. I'm going to prove it to you guys. 95,000? I'm, I'm a proof guy. Was that not a little annoying that you were like just under a hundred thousand? A little bit. If I would have seen that, I would have been like, all right, let's go. We got to go walk a few laps. I, we can't, we can't end on this. Wow. Wow. Impressive. We did 25,000 on a Thursday, 22,000, 23,000 on the Wednesday and 24,000 on the Tuesday. You got it. I mean, best way to see a city is walk around it. Well, and we also were using the tube a little bit too. So we got to see so much of that city. I wouldn't do it in Paris. I wouldn't ride the, the subway in Paris, but in London. Whew. Yeah. I'm glad you guys had a good trip. It well, was amazing. thank you for taking the time to talk with me. This is a great conversation. I'm really excited for people to hear this. I'm, I'm interested to see what people think as well. I'm, I'm raw and I'm not going to tell you guys any lies. You know that. Well, this will come out literally today. Um, and then everyone will see Peter Moylan next on BB4. Oh, right? yeah. Yes. Shoot in November. But I cannot wait. Thanks, guys. It's another episode. Bye.